Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, a resource of Orchard Africa. The mission of Orchard Africa is to equip the church to care for the vulnerable. For three decades, a passionate community of churches, leaders, and donors have worked together to feed, educate, care for, and empower under-resourced communities in Southern Africa. To date, Orchard Africa and its partners have served over 10 million meals to families in need, cared for over 75,000 orphan children, and enrolled 8,000 children in high-quality early learning programs. All of this takes place through local African leaders to help communities move from survival to stability to sustainability. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, where we help you make a positive and sustainable impact in some of the places of greatest need in our world. My name is Brian Lemieux, and I'm the executive pastor of Orchard Africa, and I'm here with the founders of Orchard Africa, Mike and Michelle Tessendorf. Hi, everybody. Hello, everyone. Michelle is the CEO of Orchard Africa, and uh, she provides directional leadership for the whole scope of um, the work that we do. And Mike is our senior pastor and leads our Orchard uh, network, where he trains and empowers pastors in in Southern Africa. This is uh, episode number three uh, for the month of April, April 14th, 2021, and uh, April uh, was the month of Easter. We mm. uh, just last week celebrated Easter. And uh, if you're listening today and you're a church leader, you're a missions director, uh, congratulations. Uh, Easter <laughs> can be a huge, huge effort. And so um, you, you made it through and now it's it's mid-April. But uh, boy, Easter can be, uh, be a lot. Yeah, yeah I've... Um Notice that it takes such a strain on so many leaders and, and the church staff because it's a weekend of just crazy, crazy busy, uh, but great work. Yeah, so great work. We've been in ministry long enough to see that glazed-eyed look after <laughs> Easter. and You recognize it. And, I uh, need a it, long weekend. Yeah. <laughs> well, Easter in 2021 uh, has had all kinds of other... Uh, Nuances as well, because uh, lots of outdoor services, mm. lots mm-hmm. of capacity issues. It's so um, uh, unique, unique Easter, though. Uh, this Easter, we were actually able to meet, which yeah. last year we weren't able to be in the room. So nice. Exactly. So nice. Just wonderful. So we're moving forward. We're moving ahead, and we can be thankful for that. Well, welcome back. If you uh, have been listening to our podcast over the last few episodes, uh, if this is your first time uh, listening, uh, the heart of this podcast is to help you have the tools, the resources, the awareness, the insights you need to uh, to make an impact globally. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most important topics when it comes to making an impact in communities who are under-resourced, underserved, and um, uh, opportunities for us to come alongside of them in um in the places that they they live and they serve. And so today we're going to be talking about how do we make a long-term generational impact? How do we have a sustainable impact Mm. through the the work that we do as a missions department, as a donor, uh, as as a leader in in other ministries? And so that's the topic today, sustainability. And I thought we'd start by just talk about, so what, what do we mean when we say sustainability? It's a word that's used right. a lot right now, uh, maybe a buzzword. But it is very much a buzzword. But what and, does it mean? Um, 
I think it is good just to define for ourselves in this conversation what we mean by mm. sustainability. Um, clearly, in different contexts, it could mean different things. But in our context for today's conversation, uh, I would say that sustainability is the ability to maintain something at a certain rate or a certain level, mm. that ability to maintain it uh, at a set level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, um, I think it's important when we are working with partners uh, on the ground that in order for us to achieve this sustainability, we take the capacity of the partner into mind. Uh, what capacity do they have to maintain at an mm -hmm. acceptable level mm. for us? Mm. Uh, if they hit that acceptable level and they can maintain it at that level, we have reached sustainability. Um, Mm -hmm. Too often we define sustainability in terms of financial things. Well, you know, can somebody financially sustain this forever and ever? And I think that that's such a limited. Mm. And, uh, I, I don't believe that that's the right attitude to take. It's sustainability is so much more than finances. Mm -hmm. It really is the capacity of somebody to maintain something at a certain level. Um, and so when we take people's capacity into mind. We've got to think about uh, their ability to engage, their ability to learn, their ability to grow, their willingness to take responsibility. All of these mm -hmm. yeah. will build capacity yeah. and then eventually lead to sustainability. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. When I think of sustainability, I think about the old adage, you know, what if, what if I get hit by a bus and I'm not able to provide the continued support, leadership development, um, involvement. Uh, what happens if I no longer am able to be a part of it? Does it continue? Mm. Right. Mm. Does right. it, or does it go away? Because if I step back, uh, then I find out it was all about my support, not about their, as you said, Michelle, their capacity and their development. Right, right. 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 Yeah, I mean, that, that is, it's a good question to ask. What happens if I can no longer do this? What happens if I do get hit by a bus or hit by a rhino or <laughs> trampled on by a giraffe? <laughs> so uh, th things happen. Um, and those are good questions to ask. But I think if we understand and, and look at the term sustainability correctly, you know, if, if all we think about is, well, if I'm not giving money anymore, is this thing going to die? Uh, money can be found in other places. Mm. But if we focusing on the capacity and the ability to learn and, 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 and for, for our partners to take responsibility, um, then it's not so crucial if I do get hit by a bus because I've left something behind that's going to live on. There's a legacy that's going to outlast me whether... I, I live to 100 or whether mm. a giraffe gets me before that. <laughs> right. And um, I think within Orchard Africa, for us, that's so important. Before we even start with a project, uh, we start thinking, how is this going to be sustainable? How mm. is the partner on the ground going to maintain this? How do we set this up right from the beginning mm. that this is going to happen? And we did that with our orphan intervention program. Yeah, that was one of the huge, huge needs that we uh, became aware of in the beginning. 
as with the the, the, the orphan crisis um, as a result of the AIDS pandemic back in the 90s, um, there were just so many kids that were traumatized and, and sort of just dried up inside as a result of mm. the grief, the loss, and mm. the lack of understanding of what was going on. And so we developed our orphan intervention program to take kids through a process of understanding, of um, learning to, to, to realize that even after grief and after loss, there is still hope and that it's okay to be happy again if they understand the process. And um, in the early years, we used to lead that program. We used to go into a, a village, go into a church, and with the pastor present, we would be the presenters of the program. Um, and it took a while, but eventually we got to the place where the pastors had watched us, uh, they'd learned, they'd observed, they had formulated their own stories and figured out ways to speak to the kids at, uh, from their heart. Mm. And now those orphan intervention programs are run entirely by the pastors, and some of them are even run by children who have grown up and come back as young adults. Um, I'm giving back. And, yeah. and, and are running the program. And so, you know, if we get back to being hit by a bus, it really doesn't affect that mm. program at all if Orchard Africa is no longer here because it's become sustainable. Right. The leaders have the capacity. So when to we when we um, partner with a church uh, in that orphan intervention program, our process right now is we will show you how to do it. We'll train you. We'll teach you the material. We provide you with the materials that you need. Uh, we will sit with you while you present it, and you know the the normal mentoring process. And then within a very short time. This program is run by the local church, mm. initially by the church leader, him mm. or herself, and then who then in turn trains others. And it becomes completely sustainable where we don't have to be a part of that process. We are there as continuing mentors. We're there for continual relationship. We're constantly speaking into that program to make it better but we are not the implementers on the ground, and it's a very sustainable program. But we went into that from the beginning. How do we empower church leaders to help children through grief? Mm. How do we help uh, the church manage this huge uh, orphan crisis that we had during the AIDS pandemic at its height? And I think for me, uh, one of the key aspects of sustainability in this regard is that orphaned children are being cared for by the community in the community. Correct. Uh, you know, a quick mm. fix is, well, let's build an orphanage and put all the kids in the orphanage and we can care for them that way. And th that's not wrong. But when you then start thinking in terms of st sustainability, um, to me, it's far more sustainable when the community is providing the care in the community than when there's an institution that's outside of the community, outside of the community mm. that's mm. the solution. Mm. Right. Mm. Well, and think about the number of people that can be impacted, the number of children that can be helped when you pursue a sustainable model. Just hearing the story that you just told, uh, if you owned it and you kept doing it, it would have been noble and compassionate. But uh, 
limited. Right. Exactly. And now the number of people over the course of a generation who have been through that because yeah. you were able to uh, let go and, and yeah. pr- pursue a sustainable model. Mm. Correct. And so we've literally had tens and tens of thousands, 50,000, more thousands of people who have been ministered to through this program by making it sustainable and in the hands of others. The same with our uh, AIDS prevention course, mm. same story same process Uh, hundreds and thousands of young children have gone through that process by the hands of local church leaders Mm. so if you're listening today and you're responsible for partnerships with um, global ministries and organizations you're always thinking about what kind of partnership should i pursue We're, we're, we're suggesting you need to be thinking also about is that a sustainable partnership and and work that's being done because there's a negative impact if it's if it's unsustainable so let's let's talk a little bit about that what what are what's the impact of our program or ministry or missions not being sustainable but actually it's an unsustainable ministry right i think that that's when we start um hurting people we are not doing things. Uh, we spoke a few weeks ago about doing things to people, uh, for people, and with people. And our goal is to do things with people. Doing things for people sometimes is necessary. But when we start programs that are not sustainable, I believe that that's when we're doing things to people because we're setting them up uh, for – it creates the sense of failure. It mm. lowers people's self-esteem when they fail. Mm. I think it creates distrust. It possibly makes people reluctant to try again. Um, Just so many negative impacts of starting something that then fizzles out or can't be Mm. maintained Mm. by the local community. Mm. Um, We we really, uh, as global outreach, experts or leaders rather maybe we're not all experts but we leaders uh, should think about the end goal and how how do we create a sustainable model Mm. Uh, what is the level that this is going to be maintained at that we as uh, investors are Mm -hmm. comfortable Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. it might not be the level that we can maintain something you know Mm. if I'm a psychologist and I'm dealing with a child trauma clearly my level of expertise is so much more than somebody who is a lay person implementing a program that I've developed Mm. but that doesn't make that lower level a, a bad level that's the level that the local community can maintain it at Mm. Um, and so we need to be comfortable with the level that we believe is a a maintainable and a sustainable level Mm. yeah i think what also happens is i mean there always are people who are benefiting from whatever program it is that's being implemented so it's not just the the sort of the giving partner and the receiving partner. There's those that are benefiting by what the receiving partner is doing, mm. and so whether it's kids that are being fed or um, f- frail people that are being visited in their homes or uh, some kind of an ed- education program is being provided, if suddenly that stops, all those that are depending on that program yeah. get hurt. Mm-hmm. I think for them, it would feel like suddenly if you didn't get a paycheck, 
you know, how would you feel if suddenly your paycheck mm. just stopped? Mm. And uh, we don't think mm. about how those people feel and the impact that it has on them. And so it's, it's my opinion that we should never start something that we do not believe we can continue mm. or that can continue mm. to mm. happen mm. because somewhere along the line that's going to cause hurt. Mm. So with that in mind, what, what, what creates uh, something that's unsustainable? So, um, you know, what, uh, what creates uh, a program or ministry that just isn't going to continue? And kind of the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that uh, we may give a tool or a solution or a, an idea or ministry, but if we don't provide training, uh, we're setting them up to uh, uh, really for a short-term impact because we have to stay connected. So, mm. uh, you know, it's unsustainable if, if they don't, if they have a tool, but they don't have the training as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think what Michelle said right in the beginning about capacity, if we <coughs> don't take into account the capacity of the person that we are partnering with, um, that's going to become, that's very dangerous. Um, we should always remember not to expect or demand something from the people that we're partnering with that go, that is beyond their capacity. Mm. Um, because that's going to lead them to become either discouraged or just fail. Burnout. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Trying to meet our expectations instead of doing what they actually have the heart and the capacity to do. Mm. So uh, Orchard Africa has been specializing in creating sustainable impact for 30 years, three decades. Right. And so... Uh, Mike and Michelle, you've been there uh, from from day one. So, what what does it take to create a sustainable impact? Um, well, I think what we've already said. The first part, number one, is to start with sustainability in mind. Mm. How do we enter into this partnership with um, somebody on the ground, some local community, a church, whatever it is, how do we enter in with sustainability in mind? And one of the questions I think is good to ask ourselves is how long am I willing to give to this project? And um, discuss that mm, up front mm, mm. with the partner. This is a three-year partnership or uh, in your own mind, you know, uh, I'm willing to stay in this for the long haul until they have developed to a certain level. And when they get to that level, then they can maintain it. Um, but to start off with, how long am I willing to give to this project? Um, and how do I enter into this project with sustainability in mind? Mm. How do I not create something that without me cannot last? And those were very important questions that we asked early on in our ministry is uh, I have limited resources, I have limited time, I have limited capacity, and um, I'm going to really stifle this program if everything revolves around what I can do. This needs to be uh, able to grow its own legs. It needs to be able to develop. Mm. Um, and we, we build into the program ways in which this can be developed and eventually taken over by local community. Mm. Yeah, I think in, another one is to go into that program knowing that the most important focus is on developing capacity in the people you're partnering with, 
rather than setting out to keep doing something for them or even worse, keep doing something to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have limited time. We all have limited resources. Um, but if we develop cap- capacity in people, we are creating an ongoing resource that is not going to be dependent on us indefinitely. Um, it's not going to drain us indefinitely because, you know, we've, we've actually duplicated ourselves. And mm. if the more we can do that in the people we partner with, the greater the reach, the greater the impact, the greater the effect, mm. and the greater the sustainability. Right. Mm. Mm. So you're saying that development is very much a part of sustainability. Yeah, I think w- that's certainly something that's helped us is we've always made sure that our major focus is on developing people Mm. uh, and not just providing resources. Right. And I think in doing that, when we are uh, working uh, with the mindset of developing people, we must remember that people have agency. Mm. And we must find out what they can bring to the table and then we provide what we can bring to the Mm. table. So we're not imposing on a local community, on a local project, well, this is the way we think you should do it and I'm going to raise your capacity and then you'll be... No, no. Mm. People have agency and they should have agency in this process and it's a give and take. That's what partnership is. If it's all give, well, it's not. then it's one-sided. So right. what are they bringing to the table? What are we bringing to the table? What um, insights do they have that we don't have what insights do we have that possibly they don't have and you bring all of that to the table um, and then you work on this development process Mm. when i think of development i think maybe first maybe maybe like you maybe like others think of what program am i going to develop or what ministry or outreach am i going to develop and certainly ministries and programs and projects are are a part of what we do to make an impact. But uh, that idea of developing uh, the person on the ground who's going to be able to not only do that ministry, but think up what's the right ne- next mm. thing to do and mm. to own that. And, right. and for us as um, partners to be able to really trust, yeah. trust them and have confidence in them for the the impact that they can make as we as we focus on the people not just what we can do i think one of the greatest ways to build capacity in people is to let them know that you trust them yeah um often when it's a it's a sort of giving receiving relationship the receiver almost feels uh sort of timid and and maybe uh not as capable as they should because they receiving but if as the giving partner, you let that receiving partner know that you trust them and make them feel like you trust them and make them feel like you have confidence in them, especially if they mess up. They're going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to let you down. They're, not, they're going to come short in meeting outcomes or uh, making mistakes. But if you go through all those things, still letting them know, hey, you made a mistake, but I have confidence that you can do this or you can do it better Mm. next time or you've learned from your mistake and I trust you to keep uh, doing the great work that you started Um, a person who is trusted Mm. will step out and rise to the Mm. occasion Mm. a person who is not trusted will always step back and wait for you 
to come and be the solver of everything. Mm. Right. And then um, in this idea of people having agency, even to work toward uh, mindsets where it's not a giving and a receiving partner, but that we partners, we equal, we're doing this together mm. Uh, mm. Uh, and work towards that mindset where we we in this together. Mm. Yeah. And depending on where um, where you're serving and where the community is, that some environments uh, have promoted trust more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, some communities uh, experiencing extreme poverty, the sense of confidence has been eroded mm-hmm. uh, in, in many people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that's the experience that... Um, you you, all, you both had when you encountered some communities where you, you discovered that it wasn't only do they need the tool, but they, um, for maybe generations, have been told they didn't have what it what it what it takes to make an impact. Yeah, one of the big evils of apartheid was just to create this impression that um, because of the color of your skin, you were inferior, and we came across pastors and leaders and people who uh, one of the biggest needs that they had was to be uh, helped to believe that all the apartheid uh, indoctrination was exactly that. It was indoctrination. It wasn't truth. Mm-hmm. That God had created these people with, with uh, capacity. capacity and with ability and with uh, initiative and with uh, just... Creativity. Cre- yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm running out of words. Yes, but, mm-hmm. all of that is when, within when each pe- of When us. people don't believe that about themselves because they, for years and years and years and years the system has told them you don't count, and which is what apartheid did. Um, that's really hard. And I think um, it's, it's, it's something to be sensitive of as a, as a missions director or an outreach director, just to be aware of well, what is the cultural background or what is the sort of... Um, sociological environment that the people that I'm dealing with have grown up in and just be aware that there may be things that you take for granted that they don't mm. because of, mm. of some of the history but you know we've we've kind of moved on I think yeah. uh, colonialism and and the apartheid thing is is a thing of the past we have a new generation of people so we get back to just letting those guys that we believe in you we trust you we, you, you can do agency. this. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, but, well, I, yeah, go oh, ahead, okay. Michelle. Thank you. One of the, uh, the sad truths about working in vulnerable communities anywhere in the world is the very fact that people are vulnerable because they rely on others to meet a need. Yeah. That's what makes them vulnerable. And um, that reliance on others can so often... Um, stifle our own creativity and our own ability to problem solve because for generations or however long we rely on other people to meet our needs because we're vulnerable and it's a case of working and developing people out of that mindset well that's so good too that reminds me of the the idea that as soon as we can to have people be a part of the the change. Yes. Yes. That they're involved, they're connected, that they're, yes. they're doing the work um, and we're with them, but maybe for generations they weren't Included. given the opportunity. So they haven't had the opportunity to, to learn or to have that skill set. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I agree. 
And so um, I think that that's a very real to include people. Perhaps along the same lines, uh, I think sustainability comes when we empower local leaders to actually do the work, uh, put skin in the game, uh, sweat equity, words we use. Um, again, for us, and I think this is healthy for any um, outreach uh, program, is the giving partner should play the role of being the equipper. Um, of course, there will be resources and provision and things that, are, that that go along with that. But if you can have in your head, I'm the equipper and the receiving partner is the implementer. In other words, the work on the ground is not going to be done by me. Uh, we might do it together to begin with as you learn and as, as, as uh, we figure out what's the best way this thing's going to work together. But at, somewhere down the road, you're going to be the guy that's actually got your feet on the ground you, you're getting your hands dirty uh, you're the implementer and yes that's going to create fear in the receiving part of all what if i make a mistake what if i don't know what if i mess up hugely it's going to happen and when that does happen if you are um, investing in people to to have the skin in the game mm -hmm. instead of coming in as the great savior to solve the problem the better way is to sit down with the a partner on the ground say well so well you messed up let's figure out ways of fixing that how can we together well that's how solution? we learn that's how we grow is us. we yeah. we try things some things work some things don't um but if we don't have the failures we don't learn actually i think that's often where we find out well i need to tweak this here or do this differently and right and so if we don't give them the opportunity to uh, try, learn, fail, succeed. Exactly. You know, we're we're uh, we're hindering them from really right. making the impact. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think then uh, maybe one of the other aspects of sustainability, and this is very very real in Orchard Africa, is to pursue simplicity over complex. Um, we work with very complex problems, so I'm not. Um, in any way uh, downplaying the, 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 the complexity of poverty mm, mm, and mm. all these other uh, aspects that go into vulnerable communities. Um, they are complex problems, but so often we want to come up with a complex solution. And I think if we want to have sustainability in mind, we need to pursue simplicity. Um, one of the values of Orchard Africa as an organization is that sustainability is the key mm. or simplicity sure. is the key to sustainability. Um, and we always look for ways in which to do things more simply. Um, as an example, if uh, children are hungry in a local village, we can come up with all kinds of complex solutions and sometimes outside um, restrictions and outside uh, uh, rules can cause us to create all kinds of complex ways in which to help these children be uh, nourished. Or a simple solution, which is what we do at Orchard Africa, is help the church cook a pot of food and the children come from their homes with their bowls and their spoon, and they get fed. Mm. Simple answer. Easy. The kid needs a bowl of food. Mm. The church can provide it. 
Mm. Um, but so often when you look at um, feeding projects or uh, soup kitchens or whatever you want to call it, they can become so complex in all these rules and regulations and what is needed and what isn't needed and uh, before mm. you know it, it mm. becomes so expensive you can't sustain that model. Find the simple solution. What is the most simple solution that is sustainable? And start there. And uh, that has always been good for us, is to keep remembering that simplicity is the key to sustainability. Mm. Within all these complex problems, there is bound to be a more simple solution than what we originally Mm. come Mm. up with. Mm. Another thought is uh, thinking through, what do we fund? And the more we fund development, the more sustainable it is. Yes, absolutely. Yes. There are times when uh, relief is needed and uh, we, we need to fund that. But over the course of a relationship with a partner or the development of a ministry, that we should be moving as leaders toward funding more development, that the development should become a, a greater and greater percentage of of what we're funding so that mm-hmm. we know that it's it's sustainable long-term as opposed to, you know, it can be, uh, instead it can be a moment we're funding instead of a, a movement or- Yes, that's good. Or right. a change. I agree. And um, a story that we use at Orchard Africa in way of an analogy of that very thing, why development is the ultimate goal and should be funded, mm-hmm. is uh, let's take, for example, a village of people who have their little homes built all along the riverbed, and that's where they live, and um, a great flood happens, and this river swells up and uh, floods their homes, washes everything away. You now have a uh, disaster, so you come in with relief. Obviously, people need uh, temporary shelter. They need blankets. They need food. They, we're in a disaster crisis mode, and relief is what's needed. Um, but once the immediate needs are taken care of and the river has subsided, well, now we have what we call reconstruction. So we, we help rebuild mm-hmm. people's homes so that they can get back to their way of life. And I think um, I have seen, especially in Christian communities that are just so very, very compassionate, uh, Christians will respond to these kind of relief uh, programs uh, in such a generous way. And uh, it just blesses me so much. When there's a need for relief, people will provide the food, they'll provide the blankets, they'll provide all of the relief, and oftentimes even help to rebuild people's lives again. But what happens is that next year, when the floods come again and the river swells up, well, those very same people have their homes Mm, washed away. Back right where they were. Exactly. And they're right back where they were. And we find the same Christians re-giving in relief and being compassionate Mm. yet again. And surely our role is to move beyond that. And so development would look like, well, let's help these people move their homes from the riverbed 
to higher ground. And let's help them find ways in which to bring the water from the river, because that's why they're living there. Let's bring the water from the river to the higher grounds through some kind of engineering and construction and move people, help them develop to a point where they are not year in and year out. Every year when the floods come, well, now we're devastated again. We've now moved beyond where the river is going to flood us out. Mm. And, and that seems simple enough. However when you're talking about development, it's a process. Because over the years, while people have been living in that uh, riverbed area, well, there's certain cultural norms that have developed. And so with development, you come across culture that might uh, be constricting mm. mm. mm-hmm. to the move. Uh, for example, crazy example, maybe uh, they worship the river god and they think, well... I can't move away from the river because we worship the river mm. god. And so religion comes into play. And there's so many things that come into play with development. And if we are willing to stick to it with the long haul and work with people, what we need is the buy-in of the local leaders. There are local leaders who will then help do things with you. And when you have those local leaders buying in and understanding um, the, the, the need to move to higher ground and the benefits to the community to move to higher grounds and are willing to give the sweat equity and work with you, um, that's when you're getting to the place of true development and then finally sustainability where those local leaders can fix the pipe when it breaks and we need water yeah. and all those other wonderful things that happen. Um, it's just an analogy, and of course all analogies break down at some point, but that's the idea of relief, reconstruction, and ultimately funding, as you said, development programs. Mm. Because when you do that, um, as a, a, a donor, you move on. Well, we've helped this community. They're now sustainable with this particular project, and now I can move on to help another community do exactly <coughs> Well, the investment then can, again, multiply in the the lives that are touched. If we're rebuilding the same homes mm-hmm. over and over again, there's still a whole community of people that no one's helping. Right. And um, aren't able to be um, be supported and, and helped because we keep helping that relief effort. Right. Without, and every year they're looking to you and going, okay, we, we, we are in the same problem. Come and help. And mm-hmm. so now we they dependent on us, and that's not mm. the ultimate goal. The challenge of development and, and directing funding to development is that development, as Michelle said, is a process. And most of the time, it's a process that takes a long time. It's not one of those things that you can post a photo every month and say, hey, look, look, mm. look how we're succeeding, look at our progress. Um, and so way at, back at the beginning, uh, Michelle made the point of make a decision of how long are you going to be in this program for? How long are you going to fund it for? And if you're focusing on development, it might be a lot longer than just, well, we're going to do a relief program, take our photos, and we're done. Development could take 10 years for, mm. or, or more. Right. And I think, you know, I often hear people say, but we've spent so much money in Africa or wherever, you know, fill in the blank. And... It, the problems are the same all the time. Well, it's because we keep sending money to help with the relief and relief. the reconstruction. Yes. Uh, at some point, 
we should have those long-haul mindsets. We're in this for the long haul and we're going to work on development so that we don't need to keep pouring money into the food and the blankets and the reconstruction. Well, what do we do if uh, maybe we're listening and we think, well, I don't know that I can give 30 years to bring this change or I don't know if I can uh, do the long, long haul what what advice would you give them in um, what kind of decision can they make uh, when uh, when they're beginning to start out? We talked about the reality of just maybe having clarity of expectations about right out of the gate when you're talking with a partner how how long can you invest and that's a tough question to answer because um any kind of funding that's directed for a short term is probably going to provide relief, but it's very likely that funding will be needed again to provide the same relief. Um, the other answer is to see yourself as, as part of a long-term project. So possibly your funding can't go on for a long time, but it can be a part of a program that you're contributing towards to make successful over the long haul and maybe that's a good mindset right i think if we uh, as uh, people who partner with others make a decision what do i partner with do we as an organization partner with relief and if that's what we do then that's what we do mm. or do we provide relief and reconstruction do we only provide development or do we provide a little bit of all three to different partnering organizations? Um, I think our mindset must be, what do we do? Because there's nothing wrong with relief. Relief mm. is needed. Mm -hmm. Of course it's needed. Um, and relief is, is uh, as Mike said, in many ways, the easy funding because we can take photos and here are people who were hungry and now they're not hungry and it's a quick fix. And it's okay if that's all we want to do. But then we must know that there are other aspects. We haven't solved the problem. There are other aspects mm. of uh, this particular problem. Um, maybe we want to just be in the reconstruction phase. Mm. Um, but I, I would like to say that I think more people are needed in the development mm -hmm. uh, aspect mm. because uh, we're very heavy on the relief and mm. that's wonderful and I don't ever want to uh, not be grateful for that compassion. But there's a lot of people mm. funding relief, uh, fewer people funding reconstruction, and even fewer people being willing to mm. stick it for the long haul and fund development. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, this is a really good conversation, and we hope for you this has spurred on some thoughts and insights and helped you to think about the impact that you're making globally. Um, we really want to walk with you as uh, as you make a positive and sustainable impact in in the world. So thanks for listening. And um, all that we do at Orchard Africa and the development work that we do, caring for the vulnerable, equipping churches, is is done through the support of um, of our Orchard community who give month in and month out. And so thank you uh, for those of you listening that are part of that community. If you'd like to uh, be a a monthly supporter, part of this Orchard community, uh, you can head to our website, www.
orchardafrica.org. And right on the main page there, you can find out about this passionate community of monthly givers who are equipping the church to care for the vulnerable. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode, uh, having this conversation with us, and we look forward to you tuning in uh, in our next episode as we continue to um, give you tools and equip you uh, to make an impact in places of greatest need. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.